0: The Phoenix Suns started the season with a win on opening night, 1 and 0 after a trip to San Francisco. On today's episode of Locked On Suns, how Devin Booker took over and closed this game and why the Suns role players show how they can succeed in this environment, plus much more. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past seven seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen. Here on this Wednesday, maybe you're here Tuesday night, the Suns started the season with a win. We're here to talk about it tonight, so hit follow, hit subscribe wherever you're finding the show. If you have not done so already, become an everyday or get locked onto the Phoenix Suns right along with me every Monday through Friday from here on out. Please drop a rating on the audio platforms if you have not done so. Quick note on that, please, just because that is an area where we would like to see more growth this season, but we have lots of basketball to get to. I will not belabor the begging for reviews, but it would go a long way. The final score, 108 to 104. We do these recaps, and I will tell you a few things as we go that I'm not going to comment on today. Because I want to rewatch this game, but we do the moment of the game first, then our main takeaway, and then we close with some key stats, and we'll establish some new benchmark nightly recap segments along the way as well. But moment of the game to start has to be crunch time, in this case. No Bradley Beal, of course, for Phoenix tonight, and Grayson Allen in his place did not have his best game, and even Eric Gordon, who ended up closing this game and was in in that slot in crunch time, 4 of 16 himself. So you had Gordon and Allen, who I spent the past two shows debating on who might close and what all that might look like. They combined to go 4 of twenty-two, two of 14 from deep, and no free throw attempts, let alone a made free throw. Just three assists and two turnovers combined for those guys after we spent not just the past two days, but all offseason talking about how that was going to be a strength of the Suns. We'll get more into the role players in the next segment, but that's, the, that's what Booker was working with. When he took over, when he, when he went off, when he exploded, with the ball in his hands, as expected, in a point-booker role late in a close game against a title-contending team. This is exactly what you would have drawn up. This is exactly what you would have hoped to see. Yes, there were six turnovers, but in this late-game situation, what he did was incredible. Legitimately incredible. In particular, the... Three point, uh, sorry, the three assists that Booker had in a row on a Josh Kogi three. This was really the last, the final minute of the game. But you had Josh Kogi corner three from the left corner. You had an Eric Gordon three from the right wing, and then you had a Yusuf Nurkic layup to basically clinch the win. And all three were assisted by Booker. And that's after, in crunch time, he actually had already made a couple of baskets to give himself five points. I believe Booker uh, scored or assisted on every point the Suns scored in the final five minutes of this game. But let's focus on the passing. And the simplicity of what we saw. Okay? Because a couple things jump out. One is, to just start, Yusuf Nurkic's screening. And I think it deserves a lot of credit. He just makes contact, you know, like there are a lot of guys in this league, you know, especially the bigger, physically bigger guys that it makes a difference to have those guys out there, you know, ask Memphis Grizzlies fans, just how much these Steven Adams aggravation or, or failure to recover that's causing him to miss this whole season. Ask them how that feels. Right. And I think Nurkic is quickly making his presence felt that way. It's just different ...to run a pretty simple high screen and roll... ...which the Gordon 3 came on... ...it didn't even feel like it really developed all the way... ...but that was sort of a uh, double drag... ...kind of almost stack pick and roll thing... ...where Gordon was involved kind of as a screen setter... ...and then popped out right as Nurkic was rolling... ...but still nothing too complex... And it just makes a difference when the guy creating separation for the ball handler as a screener is actually laying it on and actually creating that separation, which is not something that DeAndre Ayton or any of these sons, other bigs in recent years have always done. JaVale McGee, heck, even Frank Kaminsky, even Dario Saric. This, Nurkic is a different level of screener. So that said, Booker was just masterful and uh, a, a few... You know, he, he's doing jump passes in these moments, which is kind of funny. It's just not something I think most basketball coaches would, would ever tell you to do. But he's Devin effing Booker, and, you know, he's going to do it no matter what, uh, whatever his way is. I just think, too, look, this is a guy who, if you spend all preseason taking pull-up threes, the defense is going to respect that. And I don't know if he only could have made those passes by getting off his, his feet, but it certainly adds to the confusion that the defense is experiencing when you have multiple options at your fingertips in a moment like that. It's also just the comfort of, of going to his guys. And again, we'll talk about the role players in the next segment, but trusting Josh Akogi, trusting Eric Gordon, you know, Durant, like I know we'll probably debate about this more and Again, that's one of the things I'm not going to comment on is his odd night. I'll I'll rewatch the game tomorrow and we'll talk more about it for Thursday's show. But he was an expensive uh, decoy in this particular game late. You know, I I know we want to bash Monty Williams or or Chris Paul for turning him into that at points last year. But the reality is uh, that was sort of the case tonight, too, and it works. And so, yeah, trusting Akogi, trusting Nurkic, not it not being Booker and Durant scoring the final baskets of this game is interesting. I think it speaks to the mentality of, of Devin Booker. And I think it speaks to the ways in which this Suns team can win that are not just going to be the stars. This team has depth. This team has pieces that fit. And that was nice to see. And nice to see that Booker believes in that already too, and didn't try to force it. And lastly, from a, Matchup standpoint, what we saw here in the three consecutive plays, again, a Josh Okoge corner three, an Eric Gordon wing three, catch and shoot, and then the Nurkic roll to the basket finish to close it out. From that matchup standpoint, speaking specifically about the Warriors, they just don't have size. And it's one of the reasons that I think the Suns match up well with this team, because not only do they not have a center who is going to protect the rim or score consistently, Kevon Looney does a lot of things well. He is a beast on the glass. He plays well as a, as a passing hub within their system. He can play fast. He can guard on the perimeter. There's a lot of things that are useful about him, but he's not Nicole Jokic. He's not Joel Embiid. He's not even Rudy Gobert or Carl Anthony Towns. Right. He is a, a lesser version of that. But it's also just that the Suns don't have a lot of the Warriors don't have a lot of overall size at each position. Especially with Draymond Green out. Draymond Green out. You saw them close with Jonathan Kaminga. I personally might have put in both Kaminga and Wiggins and benched Curry or benched Paul or Thompson, but I'm not doing a Warriors show. Either way, you saw the way that the Suns were able to manipulate the Warriors' lack of size. You know, I put on Twitter a couple of freeze frames of the Nurkic layup, and of the akogi three. And in both cases, the low men in the help spots are Chris Paul and Clay Thompson, you know? And if you put Jonathan Kaminga on Booker, which we saw them do, then that's a, a, yet another bigger help defender who's out of the play because he's having to just body up the ball handler, which obviously, again, is Booker. And it's just, yeah, you know, the spacing might not be perfect when Josh Akogi's out there. Yusuf Nurkic is not some sort of athletic finisher who you're going to throw a lob to or who's just going to draw fouls and smash a dunk on somebody's head. But when the help is Chris Paul off of Josh Okogi, so be it. You know, he didn't even really slap down at, at Nurkic on that play. So that's kind of the final ingredient to how you get to those three big plays and Devin Booker closing it out like we've seen him do time and time and time again. 37 minutes, maybe you don't love to see that, but the win is the win. It's an important one. 13 of 21 from the field, more assists than turnovers in a game that was just playground garbage kind of basketball all night. In the spirit of that garbage playground basketball, the role players stepped up in proving that they can survive and impact winning in messy games, in up-tempo games, and in a variety of different ways. We'll talk about what those guys did, starting with Josh Okogie next. First, today's show brought to you by... Prize Picks. Prize Picks is fixing, saving daily fantasy sports. That's right. They have come in and changed the game. Prize Picks is the most fun that I've personally had playing fantasy sports, and that's because it's nothing like the typical prize picks or (laughs) fantasy sports. They offer each player, and you say more or less. Than their player projections it's simple you can make picks quickly less than 60 seconds and you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry let's say you believe kyler murray when he comes back is just going to hit the ground running and let's say literally maybe you're going to go more than 50 yards rushing for kyler right away he just healthy he's going to go off maybe you say corbin carroll is going to pick up off of his game seven performance because the diamondbacks are going to the world series in case you miss that you're going to say more than one and a half hits. I don't know what the lines are going to be, but that's how it works. Prize is the place to go. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA. Use the code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100 for this awesome daily fantasy sports game made easy. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA. Promo code locked on NBA on your first deposit. Prize picks. Daily fantasy sports made easy. Keeping it rolling, let's talk about the role players. And again, we're starting with Josh Okoge, somewhat of the hero of this game. I would say, on the whole, maybe the second most impactful player in this game. I mean, is that crazy to say? It's it's hard to discount Durant, even on a quiet shooting night. I saw people talking about his miscues. Yes, he missed shots. He forced some ugly ones. And again, we'll talk about that more, but maybe it's him regardless. Let's focus on Okoge. Guarding Steph Curry, I think he's proven that he can handle that matchup in last year and this year. And, you know, four offensive rebounds, making his presence felt there. He did that all last year. A lot of this is not new, but he hits that three late in the game and uh, has the assist, actually, too, in, a, in a sort of a weird moment where the offense broke down and, ended, and it ended up with that Booker catch-and-shoot three on the left wing right before the sequence I broke down in that last segment. So just a pretty picture-perfect Josh Okogi game. Those are the ways that he impacts the team. Maybe he doesn't have a clutch three every night. Uh, You probably shouldn't count on that. We'll see how the shot comes along, but a huge positive. And he sort of bridges us into the big takeaway of the game, right? We're not just going to go through role-player by role-player, but I think that the Suns have winning role players, and I just feel like it's a type of winning role player that can also survive and and produce in chaos. And I don't maybe chaos sounds too bad, but let's just go through some of the numbers from this game. Okay, uh, the Suns put up a one hundred and eight offensive rating which is about nine points worse than the Sacramento Kings league-leading offense last year, which I'm not saying is the standard everybody should be held to, but we think of this Suns team as one that's probably going to push for the best offense in the league. So that's a good comparison point for the Phoenix Suns, and they were nine points worse than that. They didn't really succeed in the half court or in transition. They got some offensive rebounds. They got to the line a bit. They made some threes, especially late. But really, any way you slice it, this team did not play its best basketball. Maybe you would say defensively they did. I don't even know if I would necessarily say that. I think this was very much an opening night game. I think this was very much a game where both teams were missing one of their best players and have a lot to integrate. You know, on the Warriors' side, Chris Paul and a couple young bench pieces. On the Suns' side, obviously, damn near the whole team. But the Suns' role players still were impactful. And I think that matters. So Okogi giving us a perfect example of that uh in the ways I mentioned, but specifically with this matchup and how this game turned out. And the way that the Warriors have just turned basketball into this weird, like hockey match almost, where it's just frenetically paced, it's physical, it's weird, it's it's far from the beauty of some of their peak moments with. The best clay years, the Durant dynasty, the 2022 team even, when Poole was at his best, that's not quite what the Warriors are uh, anymore. And and the fact that Okoge was able to thrive in that is, yeah, it's part of his strength as a player, but it's also going to come in handy for this Suns team. I would also put Jordan Goodwin on that list. I think I personally, you know, another thing I won't try to speak to too much is, Why the lineups were the way they were and why did Grayson Allen struggle and some of that stuff. I'll have to rewatch it. I don't know why Nasir Little didn't play more. I don't know why they stuck to a nine-man rotation. I know the Warriors are small, so maybe Nasir Little just didn't make sense. You want to go with Goodwin because Beal's out. I get all that, but that was confusing. Um, Either way, Goodwin belongs on that list. I think Uda Watanabe uh, deserves to be on that list as well, and I think Eric Gordon deserves to be on that list. You know, it's like... Can you handle the ball and make good decisions in transition? Can you find ways to make an impact defensively, whether that's helping, whether that's creating some of the turnovers that lead to those transition possessions, whatever the case is, and do you have chemistry with the best players? You know, I've said that over and over, and the Suns had 13 fast break break points tonight, they had 48 points in the paint. They had five steals in uh, seven blocks. And again, got to the free throw line. So was it perfect? No, absolutely not. But I should probably put Nurkic on this list, right? Because I think he acquitted himself pretty well. Outdueled, or at least dueled to a draw, Kavon Looney on the glass. Was able to survive in a little bit more of an up-tempo game. Did get into some foul trouble. I think that's, in large part, to be expected. I think that's just going to be a fact of life with both of the Suns centers in this rotation, and ended up finishing that game that that playoff at the very end. You know, I, I think there is a stubbornness that that the Suns role players are going to need to have. There is an IQ and awareness with how fast moving this team is going to want to be and a readiness to play with anybody else. And so I guess when I don't necessarily have a great read on a lot of why all the different components added up, I'm more willing to just tip my cap to the players who did play well, which was a lot of the role players, a lot of the bench players, despite the steep adjustment that everybody's facing. Let's close things out, starting with the stat of the night, which is going to come breaking down the transition game. And I'll try to cook up my one new recap segment for all of you next. First, today's show brought to you by our following sponsors. Closing out the show, let's start with a stat i've given you plenty i've given you a ton already but i mentioned the suns didn't play great in the half court or in transition let's dig into that a little bit because it doesn't really add up to what we saw and when there are a lot of offensive rebounds this is what's going to happen but the Suns only ran in 14% of their possessions. The Warriors only ran on 15% of their possessions. If you watch this game, those numbers sound astronomically low to you. Those, for instance, for example, for reference, are in the 18th and 25th percentiles among all NBA games uh, that are logged on cleaningtheglass.com, which is where I'm getting these stats. So less than one out of every five possessions the Suns were in transition. Does that feel right to you? Because it doesn't to me. Again, only 13 fast break points. Now, they only scored 108. It was uh, a strange game from that standpoint, too. The Warriors got to the line a lot, so that creates less of an opportunity for transition. The Warriors only turned the ball over 11 times. So, you know, I guess if you slice it up that way, it starts to make a little bit more sense. But it just felt like this game was broken and messy the whole time. I think that number will go up is really the reason that I bring it up. Because, again, uh, if some of those contextual things change where the Suns are able to force more turnovers, the other team doesn't get to the line, um, the other team maybe puts up even... I guess the Warriors put up 43 threes. That's quite a bit. I would have guessed that could have helped the Suns here in terms of getting out and running. But... I think we still saw signs that that's going to be an impactful part of what they try to do this season, even though the frequency this in this game tells us it didn't happen all that much. The other part, to switch over to half court, where the Suns were slightly better than Golden State but still not great, um, is the shot selection. And the Suns took, let's see, 55 of their 95 shots from mid-range. They made 27 of them, which was almost 50%, and that's good. But it's another thing that just in real time, I didn't necessarily feel it happening. I'm looking at the shot dots on ESPN right now, and obviously, it should not come as a surprise that the majority of those mid-range shots came from Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, and Durant missed three from the left side of the basket along the left baseline. He also had two of them on the right side blocked by both. Um, well, one of them was around the free throw line by Klay Thompson and Jonathan Kaminga. So that adds to the turnovers that don't show up for Durant as turnovers; they show up as misses. But he did get his shot blocked. So if you just sort of go shot by shot, I suppose you can kind of see how that shot selection affected the Suns negatively tonight. But again, maybe I'm just used to it. Maybe I'm just used to the fact that that's what Booker and Durant do. Uh, But that caught me off guard. So those are the two stats of the night. Um, I want to incorporate a fifth starter vibe check here. And that's definitely going to be one that I think we have to do night to night. I talked about Kogi already. I'll have more on Allen. What I will say is I got the idea of Grayson Allen starting, and maybe we can close here, um, especially when you think about – we like to talk about how Steph Curry is somebody you need to control and worry about off the ball and how you need to be on your P's and Q's when it comes to off-ball switching and keeping track of if Klay Thompson's sprinting around a pin down, are you chasing him? Are you shooting that passing lane? Are you switching that? Most teams say, let's switch that. But in the times when you don't or even just to have more guys out there and considering they were playing small with yet another ball handler on the court and Chris Paul tonight, I liked and understood having Grayson Allen to chase some of those players around to fight through those screens. That's not Eric Gordon's strength, right? Eric Gordon's strength would be if you wanted to put him on Andrew Wiggins tonight. So... I'll just say I get the thinking. I will have more thoughts on how Gordon and Allen played on the Thursday show once I'm able to rewatch this game. But as far as the vibe check goes right now, based on what we've seen, I will just say I liked the idea. It makes sense. I don't think it's locked in. Beal will probably be back on Thursday, meaning that neither one of those guys will start. But if we're talking about closer or who gets more minutes, I don't think that's locked in. I don't think this game is going to dictate a whole lot because neither of them played great. But it's a good first indication of how Vogel is seeing this and what each guy was able to do with their minutes. That will wrap us up again. More to come tomorrow, and we will have a recap of Suns Lakers on Thursday night with Aaron Edwards to get you going on your uh, Friday morning. So hit follow, hit subscribe if you have not already. Drop that review on your audio platform of choice. Even if you're a YouTube listener, it helps us get up the rankings. It helps more people find this show when they search Suns on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever they listen Because there's more ratings, it shows that to them, and they might listen even if you're a watcher, even if you're a viewer and you like the YouTube experience. Please do that. It'll help us out. I will talk to you all tomorrow.